Matthew chapter 5 is our text this morning from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 31, uh, Jesus talks about a difficult subject, and that is of divorce. Before I read the text, before I preach on the text, I am fully aware that this is a very sensitive topic, and it really strikes um, at the heart for many of you. And it, it can make you maybe relive trauma. It could make you uh, just really struggle through it. Um, and so I'm very sensitive to that. And some of you have gone through a divorce. Some of you have had parents who have divorced. Some of you, like me, have been in families who are plagued with it. And so I am well aware that this is a very sensitive topic, and I want to be sensitive to you. I also want to remind all of us of God's love for us in Jesus Christ and that there's no greater love than what is found in Jesus Christ. So please hold on to his love and be supported by his love. Matthew 5, verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look at these two verses, we're going to look at two things. First is, what does the world say about divorce? And second, what did Jesus say about it? So what does the world say about divorce? In Jesus' time, they were having the same discussions as we're having today. And that is, what are the grounds for a divorce? And there was a lot of debate in the days of Jesus. There was a certain school of thought that was being taught in the synagogues that a divorce was accepted for any reason and for any cause. And what was being debated with this school of thought and then another school of thought that was saying, no, there's really only one grounds of the divorce, and that is adultery, was they were going back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, and they were debating about what Deuteronomy 24 was actually saying and what was meant by it. And this is what Jesus was meaning when he said, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This text is coming straight out of Deuteronomy 24 when Moses talked about having a certificate of divorce when a divorce was to be made. So let's look at Deuteronomy 24 and, and see what was said in this text. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, we read these words. If there, it goes on to say from Moses here, it says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. What Moses was writing about was he, he's not saying, he's not encouraging people to get a divorce, but rather he recognizes that divorce happens and he explained how husbands should give their wives a formal divorce certificate to indicate that he had renounced all claim to her. So the point of the passage was really talking about if a woman 
divorced her husband or if her man divorced his wife, and if she were to get remarried and then her second husband either divorced her or if, if uh, she, he left her, then she could not go back to her original husband because he would be defiled. That was really what the text was talking about. But in Jesus' day, the, the teachers of the law were having great debate about one little verse that was mentioned in this broader section of Deuteronomy 24. They were talking about that little passage that said, if then the wife finds no favor in his eyes because he has found something indecent in her. What they were doing was they were taking what they wanted out of this passage and they were debating it. Really not in its proper context. And they were saying, okay, what does it mean for a woman to be found indecent? So in Jesus' day, there was two schools of thought that was taking place. One school of thought was taught by a guy named Shammai, and he was a rabbi, and he was teaching that the only grounds for a divorce was if someone had an affair and continued in that affair. That would be the only grounds for a divorce. On the other side of, of thinking was a guy by the name of Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel said, well, anything indecent really opens up to any reason. So a man could divorce his wife for any and every reason that he wanted to. And he gave some examples. He said, if the wife proved to be an incompetent cook to her husband, then he could divorce her. Somebody said, amen, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good. You're going to be in the doghouse. Anyway, <laughs> the second reason is, if, 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 the, if the husband, if, if she was quarrelsome with, with him, and even if she said bad things about his mom, her mother-in-law, he could divorce her. Now, could you imagine if that were the case today, how much divorce would take place in the church <laughs> if you said something bad about your mother-in-law, you know? But that was a reason that Rabbi Hillel said and gave. Well, that could be a reason for divorce. Another one was if a woman was found with her hair down in public and even talked to a man of the opposite sex, a person of the opposite sex, even talked to that person, she could uh, be given a certificate of divorce. But the worst was from another rabbi. And this rabbi, Rabbi Akiba, he said, becomes displeasing to him meant that a man could divorce his wife if he found a woman who was more beautiful and if he lost interest in his original wife because of her looks. This was being taught in Jesus' day. And this is what the world was debating in his lifetime. It's tragic. But yet, as you think about our culture today, how similar does our world view divorce as was taught from the Jewish line of thinking led by Bishop Hillel and Bishop Akiba. You know, this week I, I was looking up crazy and silly reasons why people today have gotten divorced. One, and I kid you not, one reason was a man claimed his wife divorced him because he left dishes in the sink. Seriously, over time, she just got fed up and said, I'm tired of you being a slob, I'm done. One man divorced his wife a few days after the wedding when he saw her without makeup. <laughs> One woman divorced her husband because he didn't shower. He didn't shower for eight weeks. Now, that's a problem. 
but is divorce really the, the, the option here? I would have said, this, might, this man might need some intensive counseling. You know, send him to Jim Cofield for a little while. Um, and, and he can help him learn about hygiene, but really? This is the worst. One woman divorced her husband because, I kid you not, he didn't like the movie Frozen. She said to him, if you can't understand what makes this movie so great, there's something wrong with you as a human being. And you know what she did? She let him go. But I'm... <laughs> in America, in America, we have what we call a no-fault divorce, where you can get a divorce for any and every reason. I have seen billboards... I've seen news ads, that, that site, you can get a divorce for $99. We know that's not the case because we know when it's all said and done, divorce can cost thousands of dollars. I bring this up because our world, our society, it has a low view of marriage and a high view of divorce. And the society around us is saying, <laughs> you can have a divorce whenever you want for whatever reason you want. So what did Jesus say about it? We know what the world says about it. Our society says, if you're just not happy, then get a divorce. But what did Jesus say? Jesus elevated marriage, and he frowned upon divorce. And in verse 32, he said, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You see, Jesus, he elevated, he elevated marriage and he frowned upon divorce. And he was saying here, the only grounds and reason for divorce is sexual immorality. That word has been debated over the years. What does it mean exactly? Well, the Greek word is porneia, which means fornication. It means prostitution. It means immorality. It ultimately means unchastity. It means adultery. And so what Jesus is saying is the only reason for divorce is if an affair took place and that affair continued on where the person was unrepentant. But he was essentially elevating that of marriage. You know, what I like about what, what Jesus said is when you go to Matthew 19, he gives us a little more detail than he did here in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. So if you turn to Matthew 19, verse 3, you see this debate that the Pharisees were having with Jesus. And in verse 3, it said, the Pharisees came up to him and they tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Have you not read that? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. But therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Divorce was not so from the beginning. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So what Jesus was saying here is he gave us a lot more meat in Matthew 19 when he was asked about it than he did in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 19, he's talking about a couple things here. He's first saying 
look at what God designed from the very beginning. He designed men and women to marry each other and be united as one. In other words, he designed this marital bond to be intimate. Where the husband and wife are literally stuck together like glue. And they are not to be separated. God's original intention was for marriage to be sacred, to be elevated, and for husband and wife to not be separate, but to be together like glue. That was his intention. So Jesus elevated marriage by saying, marriage is, is wonderful, and there's great intimacy and relationship with husband and wife. And he went on to say that marriage is permanent, that in the beginning, God did not intend for divorce to take place. He intended for husband and wife to be together and to stay together till death do them part. For richer, for poor, for sickness and health, and plenty and in want, and joy and sorrow. God originally intended for that to happen. And so when he was questioned by the Pharisees, they're trying to, to find loopholes and trying to find an easy way out by essentially saying, well, there's a reason why we can get divorced. And even Moses allowed for certificates, but Jesus said, no, no, it was not so in the beginning what God intended. God never wanted divorce to happen. And the reason why there is divorce in the first place is because your hearts are hard because of sin, because of the hardness of your heart. That's why Moses allowed certificates to take place because of all the hardness of heart that was going about. So Jesus really considered divorce to be a dirty word. And we know what, what God the Father said about it in Malachi 2. He said in the New American Standard translation, I hate divorce. And him who covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of armies, so be careful about your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. What he's saying here is he just hates divorce. So Jesus not only elevated marriage and viewed it as sacred, but he also confronted the, the views of society saying, wait a second, <laughs> divorce is not a good thing and you shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to do it so easily. You know, as you think about it, all the consequences that take place from divorce, I first really hurt for people who go through a divorce, the husband and the wife, because not only has there maybe been betrayal or trauma, but think about all the emotions tied to it. Think about all the finances tied to it. I know people who have lost thousands of dollars, have lost half their possessions because of it. There are negative ramifications when a couple gets a divorce, not only for themselves, but also for the kids. I have friends that grew up in divorce homes that lived with their suitcase. They were at their mom's one week and their dad's the next, and they never really got settled in one place. But not only that for the kids, but they, they also are raised differently by two different parents, sets of parents. And so they'll go to their dad's one day, he might be more lax, and the mom might be more strict, and there's just a... A big conflict for the kids and conflict for the parents. And so there's negative consequences for the kids. The Institute for American Values and U.S. Census Bureau, it said that children who've experienced a divorce are 50% more likely to develop health problems. We also know that adult children of divorce are 89% more likely to divorce than those raised in intact families. The annual average income of a traditional family is over $100,000 in America, where a single parent family is around 35 to 40,000 in America. And so you can see that the negative impact divorce has on people. And again, another reminder of why we need to rally around single parents right now as the church and, and, and support them and encourage them because they're barely making ends meet on average. 
So we can see here that divorce has harmful, harmful consequences and implications, ramifications upon individuals and families, and it tears families apart. And when, and when families, and when, when the couple ends up getting remarried, it adds a whole nother layer when you add in more people into the family, not only for the individuals, but also for the children. No wonder that Jesus took it so seriously that with only one exception, he called all remarriage after divorce adultery. No wonder Jesus took divorce so seriously that with only one exception, he called all remarriage after divorce adultery. Did you notice that in verse 32? But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Later on in Matthew 19, he said, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. He really views divorce seriously. He elevates marriage and he frowns upon divorce. I like what William Hendrickson said about these words that Jesus gave. Here by means of a few simple words, Jesus discourages divorce. He refutes the rabbinical misinterpretation of the law he reaffirms the law's true meaning. He censures the guilty party. He defends the innocent. And throughout it all, upholds the sacredness of the marriage bond as ordained by God. That's all Jesus did in just two sentences. John Calvin, he said it this way. He said, the bond of marriage is too sacred to be dissolved at the will or rather at the licentious pleasure of men. Well said by Calvin. So again, we are to elevate marriage, view it as sacred. The world doesn't. They cheapen marriage and, and just say, well, it's something great. We're to elevate marriage and we are to frown upon divorce as Christians, just as Jesus did. But before I, I leave this topic and, and talk about how we are to apply it, I wanna go to 1 Corinthians to see what Paul said about this topic because it's very important for us to understand. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul said these words, to the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. First off, did you notice in parentheses, Paul saying, to the married I give this charge, not me, but the, or not the Lord, but me. He's not saying that the Lord Jesus would be in opposition to what Paul's charging his people. He's not saying that there's a con conflict between what he's saying and what Jesus said. What he's saying here is, I'm charging you married couples in, with these words because Jesus didn't mention this. And so I'm now charging you these words with full apostolic authority. Paul is speaking with authority from the Holy Spirit. And he's saying to married couples, he's saying, don't divorce if you do and you decide to get remarried, remarry back to one another. That's what he first says. But then you get to verse 15 and he says, if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. What Paul is saying here, notice Jesus didn't say this, but Paul did with full authority from the Holy Spirit. That's why it's in our Bible and we teach it here at the church. Paul is saying that if... You find yourself in a relationship where the spouse is a non-believer and they leave you. They desert you. It's called willful desertion. And they just leave you. And you try to regain them back and reconcile, but they just leave you. And they file the divorce and they go. Paul is saying, 
then you have grounds for divorce. I would also say you can be remarried if that is the case. And I know that's happened to some of you and it's unfortunate and I hate it on this side of heaven. Our hearts are hard. But that's what Paul is saying here. So in summary, what does the Bible say about divorce? I like what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. It says, nothing but adultery or such willful desertion as can no way be remedied by the church or civil magistrate is cause sufficient of dissolving the bond of marriage. What our faith and practice and our doctrine is saying is that the two grounds for divorce are adultery, continual adultery, unrepentant adultery, right? And willful desertion. Willful desertion. And I like what these words say from the confession. If they weren't remedied by the church or the civil authorities. In other words, even after you go through the church and you try to reconcile your marriage or you go through the court system and you might even try to to reconcile your marriage, after you've done all those steps, then the church recognizes and, and the Lord recognizes you have a lawful divorce. So those are the words that Jesus gave and the word gives us. It's hard, but these are the reasons that we have from scripture. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with all of it? Well, the first thing I wanna say is we don't need to look for the easy way out in our marriage. We need to learn to work through our problems. You know, our culture's saying, ah, just if you're not happy, (laughs) just get a divorce, it's not a big deal. No, we need to make divorce a big deal. We need to make marriage a big deal. And so if you find yourself struggling in your marriage, which by the way, all of us will struggle in our marriages at times, all of us. And if you say you never will, you're lying. I bring that up because there's two sinners getting together and we're gonna hurt each other. We're both selfish people, right? So if you find yourself in a hard season in your marriage, don't wait till your marriage is on life support before you seek help. There have been a number of times where where me and other counselors I know and pastors I know, uh, we counsel you when you come and your marriage is like on the brink of divorce. And and we're we're here to help you and we wanna help you get better. But please don't wait till it's on life support to come to us. Now, if it is on life support, come to us. Okay, I'm not discouraging you to come to us. Come to us. We wanna be here to help you. But at the same time, if you find yourself just at odds with your spouse and you're not getting anywhere, you're not moving forward, just come talk to us. We'll keep it confidential. That's why we're investing half a million dollars for a counseling center. We want to help. We want marriages to thrive, right? So please, I like what Gary Chapman says. He wrote a book about the seasons of marriage and he compares our marriage to seasons throughout the year where, you know, in marriage and relationships, you have the you have the spring and the summer seasons that are full of life and full of you know, love and it's just a wonderful season. Right now, the summer's fun, right? Just like your marriage, there's times of, of fun and joy in your marriage. But then you also have the fall and the winter seasons of your marriage where things start to die and they start to get stale and dull and boring. If you find yourself in a fall season, come, seek help. It's okay not to be okay. We all have issues. Come, don't be afraid to reach out to someone. Don't wait till you get to the winter season where everything's dead. Because when you get into the winter season, it's really hard to recover and recuperate from it. It can be done. I've seen it happen. I've seen marriages. I've seen a number of marriages that heal after years of infighting. 
I've seen marriages heal after adultery has taken place. I've seen marriages heal when people, when couples are at odds for years. It can be done because the Holy Spirit can do it. And one thing I would say is you need to try to work it out as best as you can with your spouse. I like what Keller said, and I don't like all of Tim Keller's writings, but I do like The Meaning of Marriage. It's the best book on marriage out there, that and Visionary Parenting by Rob Rynow. Those are the two books I recommend on marriage, Visionary Parenting, The Meaning of Marriage. What Keller said, and I really appreciate this, he said, longitudinal studies reveal that two-thirds of unhappy marriages will become happy within five years if people stay married and do not get divorced. Longitudinal studies reveal that two-thirds of unhappy marriages will become happy within five years if people stay married and do not get divorced. Keep that in mind. Within five years, you'll, you'll be happy again on average. And even if it takes 10 or 15, work it out to the best of your ability. You might find yourself wanting to kill your spouse, but don't divorce your spouse. Don't kill them literally. But again, what can you do to enhance your marriage? Go to counseling. Talk to pastors, read a marriage book together I've already referred to, do some new experiences together, don't allow your marriage to come, become stale, but learn, become a student of each other, go on dates that you've never done before, go to different restaurants, try something else. I'm a, I love variety. You know, change it up here and there. Don't be a creature of habit. Work on your communication by asking different questions about each other. Always be a student of your spouse. Go to marriage workshops and seminars. They're all over the place. That's why we've, we've had a marriage class yearly. Uh, that's why we have marriage retreats annually. Uh, learn each other's love languages. I know it can be cheesy, but I do like love languages because you, you learn how to serve the other person. You learn their language and you try and strive to serve how they like to be loved, right? You serve them in that way. And here's one strong statement. And you pay me to say hard things. If you are the one who is intentionally being a nuisance, stop it. If you are aggravating your spouse and you're causing them frustration and harm, stop it. Just stop it. Bob Newhart said, just stop it. I said, just stop it. You know, just <laughs> repent and tell them you're sorry and quit being a jerk. The second thing I would say if you know people who are considering divorce, don't be the one to recommend divorce. Don't be so quick to get on the divorce card and say, yeah, you need a divorce. I support you through it. Don't tell them what they want to hear. Tell them what they need to hear. Remind them of God's word. There have been times in my life where I regret not stepping into certain situations more and saying, are you sure you know what you're doing here? I don't want you to regret things like I have. Don't just let people that you love get divorced without having the hard and serious conversations with them. Number three, if you've gone through a painful divorce and you're the one who is wronged, this is hard, but seek to forgive. Allow the church to support you. Let the church family love you, okay? Seek to forgive and allow the church family to support you and love you. And finally, 
If you were the one who had an affair and you were the one who left your spouse, know that you're forgiven, but go and sin no more. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, adultery is a terrible sin, but God forbid that there should be anyone who feels that he or she has sinned himself or, outside, or herself outside the love of God or outside his kingdom because of adultery. No, if you truly repent and realize the enormity of your sin and cast yourself upon the boundless love and mercy and grace of God, you can be forgiven and we can assure you pardoned by God's word. But hear the words of our blessed Jesus, go and sin no more. If you have unjustly divorced your spouse, tell them you're sorry. Even if you've moved on, tell them you're sorry. Go and sin no more, but know you're forgiven. It's not the unforgivable sin. As bad as it is, it's not the unforgivable sin.